Welcome to the City of Refuge Church Podcast. We are so excited that you have joined us. We are a church that is called, connected, and commissioned. We want to call all people to repent and believe in our Savior's loving grace. We want to connect our neighborhood to the unity found in the greater family of Christ. We want to commission others to live as kingdom citizens before the world and heaven. And we hope that this podcast gives you a glimpse of what God is doing in us and in the Eau Claire community. Thank you so much for tuning in. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, family. Good morning, family. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Pastor Jerry Wilson. Everybody here calls me Jay Will. I'm going to turn that off. Oh, there you go. It's off. It's fine. There you go. Uh, <laughs> I have the privilege of being the lead pastor of this young church plant. Uh, City of Refuge, we're a simple church that's seeking to call all to Jesus, uh, connect as a greater growing family, and live commissioned as kingdom citizens. Uh, today we are finishing up our time in the book of Jonah, which is such a unique and interesting book. And of course, if it's a unique and interesting book, it ends off on a unique and interesting uh, tone. Tone. As I was preparing, I was like, Lord, this is weird. Have you ever read the Bible and be like, that's weird? I don't know what's happening right here, but this is weird. Well, that's how I felt much of this week. Um, but as the week kind of pressed on, I, I start to see this unfolding of what it means to be a recipient of grace and what it means to fall in love more with this unrelenting grace. Uh, the way this kind of unfolded, I was having a conversation with a coach of a lacrosse team, a local lacrosse team. I won't say teams or names, but uh, he was talking about this, this school that he is, is their rival school. But the way he talked about him, I have never heard a rivalry this uh, tense before. As in, he said, I don't want nothing good to ever happen to anybody who ever goes to that school. That's how tense this rivalry was. It was like, he said, man, if I could run up the score 150 points just to make them go home to shut down their whole program, I'm in. I was like, I've never heard anybody this upset about a school before, like a high school of all places. And he just went on to talk about it. And then he told me the story about when he uh, played lacrosse in high school himself. And they played against this rival team. And they lost against this rival team. And his principal took the whole team outside and just put them all to shame and said, y'all all should be ashamed. Your family should be ashamed. Like, it was such shame being pre pressed on them that I was like, man. This is some um, interesting levels of trauma you have experienced. But I, didn't, but I didn't realize how deep this had affected him to this day. As a grown man, he still feels the exact same way about another high school. Now, some of you are hearing that. It's like, that's kind of extreme. Like, bruh needs therapy. Yes. Yes, fully. And we might say that is extreme, but we should... Take a moment to check our own hearts. Maybe we don't hate anyone, but do we think anyone is unworthy? Unworthy to receive God's grace. How do, you, how do I know if we feel somebody is unworthy? Well, ask yourself, who do you refuse to pray for? Ah, can't say amen, you can say ouch. But <laughs> who do you refuse to pray for? When the Lord drops them in your Thoughts, you don't think about, Lord, bless them and care for them. You're just like, I can't stand them. I, I get sick at the thought of them. 
You know, if we're all honest, there's always someone that pops up, something that pops up. Even as I was challenging my own heart, I was like, God, I don't get this angry about anything. He said, oh, really? Remember that prayer when you said, God, why are their church growing and not ours? I was like, wait, this is anger? This, this, is, this is refusing to pray for your glory in someone else's life? This is what it looks like? He's like, yes. Maybe your prayer hasn't been that bold. Maybe it's been, Lord, why can't we have children with all these bad parents around? Maybe yours is, Lord, why do they keep getting promoted when it seems like things aren't working out the way I want it? Have you ever prayed these prayers of outrage towards the grace of God, towards the mercy of God? Well, let me tell you, you're not alone. Today we see in the end of Jonah this interesting prayer and dialogue between him and God, but God in this dialogue shows him how merciful and gracious he is. And at the end of the day, all of us are in need of grace. All of us are in need of his mercies. And no, no one is righteous, no, not one. We pick up kind of on the tail end of how Justin ended Jonah chapter 3 last week when it says they turned from their evil way so that God relented from the disaster he threatened them with. And it picks up in verse 1 saying Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. What's interesting about the way it picks up is in the Hebrew there's actually this word that's like rah, rah. It, it, it literally it indicates he was just angry. It's like the whole Hebrew word itself literally meant evil. Isn't it ironic when the Ninevites turned away from their evil and God gave them grace, the first thing Jonah did with his anger is he turned towards evil. And he became furious. Not just any kind of furious, but the way this fury is written is the same way that Cain in Genesis chapter 4 verse 5 was furious when God blessed Abel. And didn't receive his offering. Jonah was roaring with rage, fuming. And then he does this interesting thing. We see the second prayer of this book. The first prayer is when he was falling to his descent into the sea, he cried out to the Lord, Save me, basically. He was the one asking for grace and mercy from his disobedience. And now in the second prayer, we see him upset about the God who, call, who responds to people calling out for grace and mercy. Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? We're seeing Jonah's heart being revealed in this moment. He says, this is why I fled from Tarsh in the first place. Because I knew that you're gracious and compassion and a compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. In this moment of his prayer, he is turning and showing how angry and furious and how uh, he, he hates the fact that God has shown grace and mercy to the Ninevites. And he's calling God out on his very character. The very character that Moses spoke about God in Exodus chapter 34. We are seeing this kind of build up of who God's been since the beginning, but also who man has been since the beginning. 
Because man has always been liars, murderers, sinful people who feel that they are entitled to more than we actually are entitled to. But the Lord in Exodus 34, verse 6 through 7, it says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious God. He's slow to anger and abounding and faithful love and truth. Maintaining faithful love, not just to those who call out to him, but even to their offspring all the way to a thousand generations. You understand the children you're praying for now will still receive a blessing to the prayers that you're putting on their life right now. The people you are interceding for now will still taste a piece of God's grace because of your prayers. He's. Love, his faithful love is to a thousand generations. Why? Because he forgives iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Jonah in this moment is angry because he's saying, God, why them though? Why would you bless them? Have you not seen how terrible the Ninevites are? Like they're murdering people. You even said that their wickedness has come up before your nostrils. Why would you bless them? And we might wave our hands at Jonah and say, why would he pray such a prayer? But how many prayers have we said, why them though, Lord? Why not me? What about me? Maybe you've even prayed that about people who have truly hurt you. And enraged you and you have every right to be angry. But in that anger, where do you turn? Do you turn inward and just boil on the inside? Maybe you don't even speak out and say how angry you are. Or do you turn to the one who can take your anger, who understands your anger, and who can correct you and change your heart along the way? See, Jonah was pointing out the fact that, God, I knew you were gracious. Why would you be gracious? But it's like he forgot about God's justice. In the same verses where he talked about grace and exodus, he says, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquities on the children and grandfathers to the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. God is gracious and compassionate, but he's also just and holy. And nothing goes undone and unseen. None of our hurts, none of the pains that's been done to you, none of the things that we are angry about go unseen. He's the God that sees both. And he's the God who does both. Family, do you believe that God sees you and sees the wrongs that's been done to you? In your anger, have you been willing to come before God and say, God, do you not see what's happened to me? But just as he sees the wrong that's been done to you and he accepts you to come before him, he also is the God that if that person repents, if that person would change their ways, he also will show mercy. It's the great paradox. How can the God that's so merciful be so just? How can the God who, who both deals with evil and iniquity also relent on evil and iniquity? Jonah will see that in a few moments, but at this time, he, like us, is just holding on to this anger. He says, now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than live. He's literally saying, God, if you're this gracious to evil people, I don't know if I want to serve you or live in a world where you exist. 
And the Lord had every right to smite him at that moment, but he doesn't. He asked him a question. Is it right for you to be angry? God turns the same question to us often in our fury and our anger and our unforgiveness. He says, is it right for you to be angry? God is all about changing the heart of man and having creating a system where we are reconciled to each other to the point when murder no longer exists, but we flourish as brothers and sisters. God is all in the business of reconciliation. Matter of fact, he takes reconciliation so, so serious that he, Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you have heard that it was said by your ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the courts. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So if you have an offering, if you are offering your gifts on the altar, so if you are offering your gift to on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, meaning I have either done something wicked towards them or I hold a grudge against them for something that was done to me, he says, stop what you're doing. And go confront them. Go and be reconciled with your brother and sister. He's like, I care so much about mankind creating a system where we are one again that I don't care what you can offer the temple. Church, he doesn't care what he can, we can offer the church. He's like, I care more about relationships happening. How are you being connected? Some of you might be saying that, but so wait, you want me to reconcile with the person who hurt me? You know what? Sometimes it ain't actually build, reconciling to build relationships. Sometimes it's, stop, it's stopping to say, Lord, I just need help forgiving them. I need help caring that you care about them. Lord, you see what they have done to me. But Father, I need help both changing my heart and Lord, change their hearts. There's an amazing story I saw. Uh, earlier this week, it was about a pastor who in 1986 was a part of a gang, and the man who shot him, he invited on stage to tell their story. Because at that moment, they were both brothers in Christ. He was like, 30 plus years ago, I don't even know what we, why we hated each other. But we were willing to kill each other. But at this moment, this is a sign of God's grace on both of our lives. Because the man who shot me didn't deserve grace, and I also didn't deserve grace. This is what reconciliation looks like. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you how to play it out in my own heart, my own life. Um, many of you have heard the story about my dad. If you don't, um, just a quick rundown. Um, grew up in a single-parent household. My father had a whole family that didn't know I existed. And every time I would think about him, I would have anxiety attacks. I would just be angry and frustrated because he, him and his children lived in a more comfortable life. I grew up in poverty and I was like, Lord, why? But when the Lord grabbed my heart and started breaking my heart to love even the most unlovable, I remember just crying out and saying, God, I don't know if I can forgive him. But Lord, you, forgive, you forgave me, so help me forgive him. And Lord, don't just forgive him, but bless him. 
let his whole household know your name is great. For even though in this side of eternity, my story might not have a wonderful ending where we're reconciled, but on that side of eternity, we have so much longer to be together if you reconcile us. Family, that is one of the hardest prayers I've prayed. And I've played, prayed some pretty hard prayers. Maybe today for you, the hard prayer is, Lord, who is it that I am so upset with that I don't want to forgive? Work on my heart. Now, here's the beauty of Jonah turning to the Lord with his anger. The Lord moves towards him with grace in his rebellion. Jonah left the city in his own pity party. He went up the hill. He, in verse 5 through 6, it says, Jonah left the city and found a place in the east. He made himself a shelter there and set in it, to, in, set in it shade to see what would happen to the city. He literally built a house around his own pity, sat down, and was like, I'm going to wait to see if God's going to deal with you. And then the Lord appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his troubles. And Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. Do you not see what God was doing in this moment? He's saying, even in your rebellion, I'm going to move forward towards you, and I'm going to extend an olive branch of grace before you. The symbol of peace. He extended it over Jonah's heads to rescue him from his troubles. Family, as you also wrestle with the anger in your own heart towards whoever it might be who wronged you, God says, I'll come forward towards you. I'll rescue you from your troubles. This is what he does for rebellious people like you and I. This is what he does for recipients of grace like you and I. This is what he does for those who struggle with what's been done to us, the injustice that's been done in our life. Often we talk about the injustice that we have done, but often we don't talk about the injustice that's been done to us. But what are we doing when those injustices are done towards us? Are we moving towards the Lord and seeing his hands extended towards us? Because as his hands are extended towards us, it is showing us this beautiful picture, the very picture that Paul writes about in Romans chapter 5. Verse 6 and 9, he says, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God, he proves his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then? Since we have been justified by his blood, will, he be, will we be saved through him from wrath? He is painting this picture and saying, while we were undeserving, Christ said, I'll come forward for you, to you. While we were enemies before a holy God, Christ came and said, let me bring you into family, family. Who are you unwilling to pray for? And do you remember what has been done for you? See, the only way we can pray for those who have despitefully hurt us and used us is we must first realize what's been done for us while we were still sinners. We must remember that every time we're angry at somebody, it was like, but while I was still sinner, he has the rights to be angry, not me. 
Yes, I've been sinned against, and I should acknowledge the sins that have been done towards me, but I should acknowledge the sins I have done before the one who is worthy. Yes, we have been hurt. Many of us, our prayer needs to start at praying that the Lord will heal us. Not just that we will forgive them and move on, but that the Lord would actually heal us and do a work in us and change us and help us. But we can only do this as we're reminded. See, Jonah, in his turning towards his anger, the first thing he did that I can, I can acknowledge, I believe he did the right thing, is he prayed towards the Lord. Even if it was him taking his anger to God. But when he took his anger to God, God moved towards him with grace. But that grace wasn't just an empty grace that was going to leave him in this state. But to receive grace, we must have our hearts revealed to us. So Jonah moved, God moved towards Jonah with grace. But this is what he did to reveal Jonah's heart position to him. And this is what he often does to us also. In verse 7, it says, when dawn came the next day, God appointed a great worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching wind. This, the sun heats beat down on Jonah's head that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. You, I don't know if you've caught on to the whole book of Jonah yet, but there's this whole thing when God's trying to get Jonah's attention, he appoints something to come to Jonah. The first thing he did, he appointed a storm to come and catch Jonah's attention, to shake up the boat. Then, when Jonah finally knew, this is God after me, I need to get away from him, he was thrown in the water, and then what God did, he appointed a, a whale, a fish, to come and swallow Jonah whole. In the chapter th three, when Jonah finally was willing to respond and be obedient, God called to him. A second time, spoke to him directly. And now God, getting his attention again, is coming and appointing these things to get his attention. He gave the tree saying, here's my grace. But then he sent the worm to say, this is what it's like to not have my grace protecting you. Then he sent a scorching wind on a hot-headed Jonah to make him even hotter. And Jonah was like, what is this? Isn't it better for me to die than to live? But then God asked a question. Here's a quick Bible study lesson for you. Whenever God asks a question, it's not because he needs an answer. But he asks questions to reveal answers to us. God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Because Jonah couldn't give a, a fair response if he was right to be angry about his grace towards Nineveh. So he said, well, what about this plan I gave you? And Jonah's like, yes, it's right. I'm angry enough to die. But here's the Lord pointing out the irony of Jonah's response. And hopefully revealing in our eyes why we must be a people who both receive God's grace but be willing to extend God's grace and to pray for those who despitefully hurt us. He said, you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. Meaning, you didn't do nothing for the plant. It appeared in the night and perished in the night. So if I gave you this grace when you are rebelling against me and turning away from me, 
may I not care about the great city Nineveh? Which their response when they knew that they were in wrong standing with me was repent and to turn to me? Here I am, God, pursuing you, turning after you as you try to turn away from me. How much more would I turn to those who repent towards me? It's almost a great picture of the uh, prodigal son. I think that parable would better be uh, listed as the prodigal sons. One son in his rebellion ran off. He took all of the resources that the father gave him. He ran off, squandered it. A famine hit the land. He was unable to do anything but return to the father. And the father welcomed him in through a great party and was excited, invited all his friends, slaughtered the fattened calf. And the other son is like, what is all that commotion? What is going on at the house? It's like your brother's return. He's returned to the Father, and he's upset. Because he said, but what about me, Dad? Sounding kind of like us. What about me, God? Haven't I been faithful? Haven't I stayed close to you? I think the Father's response is something we should all dwell on. It was, your brother was dead. Like, they were dead in their sin. He was dead, and he returned. Yet you've been with me the whole time. Have you not seen how much my life has lavished you? You have not had to fight for my grace. You have had it freely this whole time. This is the same thing we should all contend with. Those who wrong us, those who are sinful, and those who are far away, they are dead in their sins. But God is willing to bring them to life if they repent, and we should pray for their repentance. But we must ask, are we dead in our sins? Family, a sign that you have not repented yourself and you do not know what it means to repent yourself is you don't like to pray for others to repent, especially those you don't like, and you don't like to pray for their blessings. You should always call and say, reveal my heart. For I am also unworthy. Forgive me, Lord, for I am unworthy. Receive me and my unworthiness as you will receive others, even those I don't want you to receive. But when I look, think about the depth of my sin and the great love of the Father for my life, I'm reminded He is the only one who's truly worthy. Not me, not my good works. Not what I've done. And this is what God is pointing at Jonah. He said, Jonah, you weren't worthy of the plant, but I gave you grace. But here's a city of 120,000 people. People who don't know no better. They don't know their right from their left. As well as many animals. When he pointed out the animals, I thought it was hilarious. I was like, why is God talking about animals? Like, so he's forgiving the people and the animals? But if you, if you think about it, the reason he's pointing out the animals is because the very fact that they turn to him means they will offer sacrifices to him to continuously turn to him and worship him. And they have many animals. He's saying they will continuously bring their sacrifices of thanks and give to me, not because he needed it, but because they understood his worthiness. They understood his worthiness. But their gifts and sacrifice would never make them right. But there is one whose gift 
His sacrifice will make them right. And there is one whose gifts and sacrifice will make us right. This is why we must continue to remember what Paul wrote. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. Arrested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe since there is no distinction. Why is there no distinction? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory, and they are justified truly by his grace. How by his grace? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood. Meaning his life was laid down so that we can find life. Through his life being laid down and through faith, it has demonstrated his righteousness. And because of that, we have now received grace. And because of his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the ones who has faith in Jesus. So that leaves us with what? Well, Paul goes on and saying, that leaves us meaning we can't boast in anything. Where then is our boasting? What can we boast in? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By one, what one, by one of works. No, on the contrary, by a law of faith. For we concluded that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Or is God the God of believers right now only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is one God who will justify the uncircumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, and do we nullify the law through faith? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What is this law he's talking about? It's the law of Christ, the law of repentance, the law that we can only find our true justification through the blood of Christ and family is those who have found their justification through the blood of Christ. We should pray for even those who hurt us, our worst enemies, that they will also receive redemption through his blood. Because as the singers say, his blood, it reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the deepest valley. His blood is the only thing that can make us right. The only equalizer in this whole world is sin. But the riches that we get to endure is the grace of God that's been poured out before us, that has been extended to us, the very unworthy of his grace. But one day, one day, all those who have been hurt by people of this world, who have been abused by people of this world, if they believe in Christ and the person who hurts them believe in Christ, one day we will see each other in heaven and we will remember our sins no longer because it's been done away with by the blood of Christ. The one who sits on the throne, the only one who is worthy because you will look at each other and say, you sinned against me, but I sinned against him. We have both sinned and we both stand in need of judgment. Yet God in his grace, because he is just, has laid our justice on him. And now we receive that which we do not deserve. 
family. And I started off this, I started off this sermon series saying this is a book of irony, how we all think we're heroes in our own story. But it shows that God is the only true hero who pursues us and cares, us, cares for us, and his unrelenting grace is the only thing that can truly make us right. As those who have received this work of Christ, who have believed and came to him in faith, that they will find freedom. As free people, are you praying for even the people you despise to be set free? Better question. If someone came to your mind this whole sermon series, if someone came to your mind this whole sermon, would you pray for them today? Maybe you don't need to start off praying for them today. Maybe the prayer you need to start for today is, Lord, heal me. Help me to see your grace. In a few moments, I'm going to open up the altar, something we don't usually do. But for all those who need prayer today, that the Lord will heal them. That he will move into the broken parts of our neighborhood. He will move into the broken parts of our life and the broken parts of our story and he will reveal his grace today and give us hearts that are able to pray for even the most despicable. The floor will be open to pray. You can come kneel. You can kneel at your seats. Just spend some time talking to the Lord that he will heal you and be reminded that his wrath has relented towards you and how you, we desire for his wrath to be relented towards even the worst of sinners. Maybe you're hearing all this today. It's like, that sounds crazy. I ain't praying for nobody I don't like. Well, maybe you have not received this grace yourself yet. Maybe you haven't been a recipient. You don't even know that God has extended his grace to you. Today is the day that you can receive salvation. <laughs> that you can receive his grace towards you. So I challenge you. Think about those who you don't want to pray for and ask the Lord first to help you, heal you, maybe forgive you, and pray for them. And for those who have not received his grace yet, pray that the Lord will open your eyes so that you can also be a recipient of his grace. Would you pray with me? Father, as we sung earlier, how deep your love is for us. Lord, help us to be reminded how deep that love truly flows for us, how you have met us in our deepest places, in our most, in, in, in the deepest hurts that we have. Father, for those today who are struggling to pray, for those who have hurt them or those they despise, Father, I pray that you would soften their hearts today that you would give them words to cry out to you today. Lord, I do pray for those who have not received of your grace, who does not know that they have been justified by your son's blood on the cross. That, Lord, you would, Lord, you would draw them to yourself. Lord, we need you. At the end of the day, we need you in all that we do. So meet us here today. We lift all these things up to you. 
in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Before you stand to start singing, search your heart. And if you need to do business with the Lord, you can pray down here or you can pray at your seat. But seek his face.